funny. So I uh... Hello, everyone. It is November 3rd. This is Michael Vandervoort, and I am here again today. We did a show yesterday, and I'm here again today with Robin Schooling. Robin, welcome back to Drive Through HR for the second time it's, this week. It's a fabulous Drive Through HR week. It really is. We're starting it, it the month is. off good. Yeah, we, we start, right, we'll bring, bring November in with a bang, and then by the end of the month, we'll be like, oh, we can't do anything until December, but we better get some shows in before <laughs> Christmas. Because you get into these things that are apparently called doom loops, which is what the topic of our show is about. And I don't know how to define a doom loop, but we have a guest today who is an expert in the topic, or at least has more knowledge than I do. <laughs> so what we'd like to welcome Andrew Shat. Andrew, welcome to Drive Through HR. How are you doing today? Good, Michael. But let me let you know that my name is actually pronounced Chate. I am sorry. I should have asked. It's all good. It's all good. Andrew's I see the little accent in the Zoom thing. I'm sorry, Andrew Chate. All right, well, now that you've level set me, let's, <laughs> which is perfectly fair, um, let us ask you to get started by introducing yourself, a little bit about you and what you do. Yeah, I'm the Chief Knowledge Officer and co-founder of an organization called Equilibrium, and we are a SaaS-based platform that brings resilience um, to hopefully the whole world. So my area is resilience. And I got to tell you, I became fascinated with this a long, long time ago when dinosaurs roamed the earth. I was fresh out of college. I got a job, as you can hear, I have an accent. I got a job in the Australian Department of Social Security. And it was my job as a 20-year-old to interview people who'd just been fired or downsized from their jobs. Oh. So for the first time in my life, right? Right. I'm just surrounded by people who were experiencing doom and gloom. And one of the things I began to notice was that some of them got themselves up, dusted themselves off and went out there trying to find another job, but others really fell into um, what I would call a doom loop and they languished and became helpless and hopeless. And this, this, is be this started really a, a lifelong fascination with the concept of resilience and lately, um, we at MeQ have been thinking a lot about this concept of doom loops. We're seeing it operating a lot in the workplace um, and in the broader world. Sorry, I'm on mute. Um, I was coughing. It is definitely a time over the last several years since the pandemic, and we've talked about this, you know, seemingly nonstop on this show in the last couple of years where resilience has been challenged for many people. And now economic shifts, all kinds of other things are happening. You know, we're kind of maybe going back, you know, trying to figure out if we're having a soft landing of a recession or, but with inflation, so many things are impacting people. And it just seems like we never get a break on that anymore. So um, I guess what I would say is like, do you have a definition of a doom loop that you can kind of lay out for us? Yeah, absolutely. And you're right about everything that's been going on in the world. And it's having an enormous impact on our mental health and well-being and making it way more likely that each and every one of us is susceptible to the doom loop, which is a really sort of catastrophic negative spiral. And it can happen in the head. It can happen in a team and it can happen organization wide. In fact, the concept of doom loop, the term was first coined fairly recently in reference to San Francisco. And it was talking about during mm. the time when people moved to remote work, 
downtown San Francisco just became something of a ghost town. And that meant that retailers were going out of business and they were withdrawing resources from downtown San Francisco. And that meant that the city provided fewer resources than they had before. And that meant people stopped coming. And that meant the retailers started to pull out even more. So they got themselves into this spiral that led to the absolute depletion of the inner city. Now, the good news is, you know, you can have a positive loop as well as a doom loop. But the thing was that that concept, when we heard that word doom loop at MeQ, we're like, oh my goodness, that that just perfectly summarizes what we've been watching and seeing for decades now Mm -hmm. in terms of what happens in someone's head what happens in a team, what happens in an organization, that sort of constant negative spiral, it feeds upon itself and runs out into a fairly disastrous course. And you're Mm -hmm. right, we've been through so much. I I think we have to think about the last three plus years as being traumatic. Once we start to think that the human brain has been through trauma, then that explains why we're still seeing big upticks in depression, anxiety, burnout, and stress and when our negatively wired brains get even more negative under these circumstances, then we are especially vulnerable to the doom loop. Mm-hmm. Why, why as human beings, um, are we prone to negative thinking? Why do we, why do we go down that path in the first place? It's a great question, Robin. And let me say too, it's such a pleasure to be on this program. You know, We have negatively wired brains naturally because there is so much more survival value in scanning for bad stuff. If we get blindsided by something bad, it could take us out of the gene pool, right? It could take us away. Um, And so we need to be scanning for that, constantly predicting that just for self-preservation and survival. If we get blindsided by something good, well, hip, hip, hooray. You know, that surprise lottery win, that's good. But you don't have to be vigilant for that in terms of safekeeping and safeguarding. So we already have these negatively wired brains. You know, there's many ways in which Thomas Hobbes, the great British philosopher, was kind of right. We are sort of poor and brutish and nasty and a little bit greedy into the mix because all of those things are traits that keep us in. Um, That doesn't mean we are destined to have these things. As Richard Dawkins said, we above all species have the capacity to rise above the tyranny of our genes. So we have the capacity to get outside of these things, but it's going to be effortful because our natural state is negativity. And when you've Mm -hmm. gone through trauma, you go hyper negative. And that's where we're finding ourselves now. And you know this better than I do, because I know that between you, and I mean no offense by this, you have decades upon decades of HR experience um, between you. That we do. And that's what we're hearing. So we're hearing from HR, right? We've got HR practitioners, um, leaders in HR, and they're saying, never before have I seen my people this depleted. Mm -hmm. And that's that's where we are right now. And yet, and Michael, you were alluding to this as well. um, We're facing VUCA. VUCA is a term that was coined by the American War College um, at the end of the Soviet Union. So, you know, what what they were saying there, Max Thurman was the general who coined the term. And he was saying, you know, when we had the Cold War, it was scary, but it was predictable. It was a high stakes chess game. But we all knew what we were going to do. The Russians did this, we'd do that and so on. But 
you know, when the Soviet Union dissolved, you had 15 new nations coming onto the world stage and no one knew how they were going to act. Mm. So the world was VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Now, as you know, in HR, as soon as there's a catchy term, especially an acronym, we're going to try to apply it to the workplace, right? And I don't think it's really fit until now. Now, I honestly believe that most of our organizations, our global workforces are in a state of VUCA. We're facing great volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. We're coming out of the pandemic and everything else that's been heaped upon us. I'm very depleted. I don't think in my 31 career year career, I've ever seen a point where people are um, so burnt out and yet facing so much. And that is fertile ground, I'm afraid to say, for the doom loop. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. I I mean, um, I mean, we're seeing things like we're, you know, the the like the return to office type of situation where, you know, CEOs want people back in their desks, be at your chair. And people are saying no. Like they're literally saying no. And employers are going, what do we do with that? I mean, in some cases they're letting people go. In other cases, they kind of let them for now, you know, and we similar things. And these are small, I think, but to your point. They're like, they're the pins on a map almost. Um, DEI type efforts where people are saying, I, don't talk to me about stuff because of my religious beliefs. I don't want to hear about your company DEI goals because of my, or, or you know, and there's there's hundreds of situations like that. And HR people are like, what? <laughs> like, you know, I see, I'm in a group that I moderate where we have over 30,000 members and we get like dozens of questions every week about how do I deal with this stuff? And we're supposed to be the, we're supposed to be the experts, I guess. So it, mm -hmm. it, it's super problematic for on the ground people. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll you know, the, oh, I'm just going to, just going to, if I can weigh in there, because what you've said is so profound and you've covered so many areas that are absolutely focal for our good friends and colleagues who are in HR. And, and that is how much the last three plus years has changed the HR landscape. For one, um, you know, the spotlight was on HR because for the first time people were like, do something, you know, we, we're going through this mental health crisis and you should do something. And of course, HR has always been doing something. It's just often gone unnoticed, unfortunately. These are people who've been sort of neglected over time, even though they serve such a pivotal role. I think for the first time, the goal of the CHRO and the goal of the CFO became aligned during the pandemic, mm -hmm. because for the first time, the CFO was able to see how much mental health and well-being mattered to the bottom line. So it was the smart thing to do to look after people, but it was also the right thing to do, which is what you know HR has seen all along. But the pressure was placed on them. They became the tip of the spear. They became the point people. And yet very little was being done to help them um, get through everything that they needed to, to get through during um, uh, the pandemic. And you're right. Mm -hmm. It's led to these emergent new issues. The interesting thing about the human negative brain is that when we were told we had to do remote work, Many of us just saw the negatives of that. I'm going to have to try to work out of home and my kids are there. And it's going to be so difficult. And we saw all the positives of remaining in the workplace. I mean, I, you know, my, my colleagues are there and we have these creative team meetings. Now that we're being asked to return to the workplace, our negative brains are tending to focus on all the good stuff about being in remote work and all mm -hmm. the negatives of going back to the office. However, there are some legitimate 
complaints here, right? Uh, because we've learned that it works. We think it works. We're comfortable with it now. And we're being asked to change. And I think the other thing for um, all of our good friends in HR to consider is this. And the human brain goes through an incredible amount of uncontrollable events like the pandemic was. We could do little things. We could mask up and stay at home and, you know, um, quarantine and get the, uh, get inoculated. But hmm. by and large, the global swing of this pandemic was outside of our individual control. And we don't like that. Humans don't like to be in a place where we don't have control. And so we're trying to wrest control back from our environment. And so to have people say to us, no, you have to do it this way, you can't do it that way, just really sticks in our craw. And I think that's why we're getting such a lot of pushback. And again, I think it, it really puts us in um, a very dangerous precipice for even more negative thinking into the future. Hmm. We have a, we have a, several more questions about doom loops, but I want to just draw it because there's another terminology that's used a lot. Um, and I just want to see if you have a kind of a take on it. And that is how are doom loops, which seem to me to be more organizational based on what you've said so far, how does that, how does that play into, or, or how does it differ from something else you hear a lot about, which is imposter syndrome, which is probably more individual and how people feel about their own capabilities. I don't know. You have a take on that? I do. I think there are a few differences, one of which you've mentioned, which is the level at which they tend to operate or can operate. You don't usually see imposter syndrome at an organizational level, <laughs> um, but you can see yeah. you can see doom loops at that level. But, you know, the, the imposter syndrome, we're all familiar with that. It, it's that feeling that you don't belong, you're not in the right place, that you don't have the qualifications you need, that somehow you're acting fraudulently um, and misrepresenting the world on, on how good you actually are at something. And that's a very a deep-seated fear that many of us have. It reflects even in our dreams where we're sort of naked giving a presentation or, you know, whatever, however it may manifest itself. It's a natural part of our development. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it, it is a real, it is a real thing. Uh, I think the imposter syndrome can lead to the doom loop. You could sit there and say, I really am not qualified for this job. I'm not going to be able to cut it here. I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. It's just a matter of time before I get detected for the fraud that I am. And then when that happens, I'm going to get fired or demoted. And that's going to be a dreadful situation to be. I'm not going to have the money I need to pay my mortgage. I could lose my house. I'm going to end up eating out of a dumpster and um, homeless. <laughs> and that, so you can see how the imposter syndrome could lead to the doom loop, but you don't need the imposter syndrome to get into the doom loop. I could be sitting there mm -hmm. saying, the world is on fire. It's not my fault. I have all the qualifications in the world, but I can't impact everybody else. And that puts the world and me in a very tight and difficult situation. And we could get into that doom loop without being in that imposter syndrome. But And you also write, doom loops can spread into a team and they can spread into an organization. Once two individuals start talking, for want of a better phrase, over the water cooler, and one is in a doom loop, that becomes very infectious for us. Mm -hmm. Negative thinking mm -hmm. is is very, very infectious. And there's a reason for that. We're hardwired for it, right? If I, Michael, if I see you and Robin running the other way with your hands mm -hmm. in the air, I'm not going to ask you what you're doing. I'm going to run with you. I'm going to run with you. And then later when we're panting and trying to regain our breath, I'll say, what was that about? And you'll say, well, you was a pack of dogs. I'm like, well, thank goodness I ran with you, right? So <laughs> anxiety, frustration, these are emotions that we tend to pick up on and run with. So we have one person in the team who's experiencing that anxiety or experiencing that frustration. We're going to pick up on it. 
others are going to pick up on it. Then when you've got, then that, that really inhibits productivity and performance. Mm. And then you've got a team that's kind of limping along and other people are in, interdependent upon that team's output. So now they're limping along and that gets them into negative thinking. They get into doom loops and it can spread through an organization like wildfire. That's mm. why we really need to think about it, be aware mm. of it and come up with some strategies to circumvent it. When when we notice that, and I I I love having a phrase now to describe what I've seen so many times in or in organizations I've worked in. Um, how how does a a leader, a manager, an HR professional, um, you know, assess and then? assess that there's this doom loop going on and that's starting to spread. How, is there a way to, to break it, to, uh, I, I guess, break it, but also to prevent it in the first place? Yeah, there, there, there really are some really um, concrete things that we can do. Firstly, we need to understand that there are seven big emotions that get in the way for people and uh, their anger, uh, anxiety, frustration, sadness, guilt, shame, and embarrassment. But when it comes to doom loops, it's primarily um, anxiety and frustration. And what we see is when it comes to VUCA, those conditions of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, it's anger, anxiety, and frustration that tend to pop mm -hmm. most. The good thing about anger, I mean, I'm an anger guy, so I know this inside and out. The good thing about anger is it's kind of its own stopgap. You, you, you can imagine, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you've been in the situation where you might be sitting in a meeting in the workplace and you're listening to something and you're thinking, this is absolutely ridiculous. There's absolutely no way this can be sensibly implemented. And you're starting to get angrier and angrier. And then the person to your right loses it and they start shouting and gesticulating and, and, and you're like, wow, you know, I was getting angry, but I wasn't like that. Uh, once we see that sort of demonstration of anger, it's almost like a slap to the face or a cold water splash in the face. And you're like, okay, I need to take a breath. But anxiety and frustration, uh, these things we pick up um, very quickly and they they we come, become infused with them. Something like sadness, guilt, shame, and embarrassment, they're more internal emotions. We don't see mm. as many external cues to them, so they're not as contagious. So I think leaders need to be aware of the fact that anxiety and frustration are the greatest threats in terms of doom loop. And what we need to realize is that anxiety is an emotion that pops when we have thoughts about future threat. So in the absence of information, if, we're, if the organization's going through change, if there's some sort of uncertainty, in the absence of information, we're going to go to that future threat space. It's what our heads do. So the most capable, most resilient leaders are the ones who have a lot of transparency, a lot of open communication. They're keeping people really informed of what's happening. And that can really close down that piece, the doom loop. In terms of frustration, you know, we're all sick of hearing the idea of doing more with less, right? We've been doing more with less for the last three decades. And, but that's, that's exactly the, the breeding ground for frustration. Frustration is an emotion that pops when we have thoughts that we don't have the resources we need to get something done. So if a leader is sensing frustration in the team, I think what they need to do is to try to direct their team's energy towards what they can control rather than focusing on what they cannot. There's a human tendency to settle on what we need and don't have. 
rather than what we need and do have. And successful leaders are the ones who are able to shift that focus a little, put a tool in their people's hands and have them doing something active. These are ways that I think resilient leadership is working to get around these doom loops. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> I've seen uh, uh, I've seen many times where behavior is a little bit contrary. So, and, and what I mean by that is like in, in a situations in prior companies where I've worked, uh, you know, we've put together a program we've focus grouped it, we've workshopped it, we come up with something that we think is going to please people, maybe like a new benefit or the implement, you know, a, a different leave program, whatever it might be. And yet you release it and it suddenly seems to um, kind of take on a life of its own where it's not perceived well. And how does that kind of, how does that I mean, I, that sounds like a doom loop of sorts, I guess, you know, and maybe a little bit unexpected. How does that work? Yeah, I think we've, I think this presents itself in the form of what we call iceberg beliefs. Iceberg beliefs are big beliefs that we have about how the world should be and how we should be in the world um, and how others should be towards us. And I think over time, we develop these expectations that things should go smoothly, that the pathway to success is linear without any kind of cutbacks. And so when we put something out there in the world, no matter what that product is, and we get feedback or it, it takes on that life of its own, or it's not as well received as what we think it is, that can be devastating, frustrating, angering. If you have those kinds of big iceberg beliefs that say, this should be a runaway success, people should love this thing. And I think that sort of represents the way that that connects to doom loops, I think, is it, it that comes from a place of threat. It comes from a threat state place because we feel threatened by the fact that this isn't getting universal acclamation, right? If we can get more into that growth mindset space where what we're saying to ourselves is, hey, the pathway to success isn't linear. It's two steps forward, one step back. This isn't the terminus. This isn't the end to problem solving. This is really just the beginning. Then we're in a better place to be able to, I think, move forward, take that in our stride and not give up and, and not fall into that doom loop. Mm -hmm. Got it. We have about five minutes left, Robin. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and I'd like to uh, shift a little bit um, to um, solutions or, or tools, really. Um, and, and Andrew, could we talk a little bit about the, a, a tool that you've created at BQ, the trap it, map it, zap it tool. Tell, tell us about that. Yeah, this is a fantastic tool to help people get out of their emotionality. Here's what we know that from the time we're kids, we're developing a way of scanning the world. We call them emotion radars. Some people are scanning for how their rights may be violated. And so they get angry a lot of the time and they learn this in their family of origin. I learned it from my dad and he probably learned it from his. And then some people um, tend to scan for future threat, as we've been discussing, and they're prone to anxiety. Because here's the thing, you scan long and hard enough, you're going to find something, even if there's nothing there. And some mm. people have a tendency to scan for the resources they do not have but need. They're frustration people. Some are scanning for loss, they get sad. Some are scanning for how they may be violating the rights of another, and they're prone to guilt. Some people are scanning for how they may lose standing in front of others and embarrassment is their signature emotion. And yet others are scanning for how they're failing to meet their own standards of how they should be in the world. And for them, shame is the biggest issue that comes up. So 
What we want to do is to help people recognize the emotion they're experiencing. I'm getting anxious right now. So I must be having thoughts. So that's the trap. It trapped the emotion. Yeah. So I must be having thoughts about future threat. That's mapping the emotion to the belief. What am I worried about right now? And then say it out loud, write it down. And when we do that, we're able to zap it. That's the essence of trap the emotion, map it to the belief, zap the belief. So one of the things I say to people is ever had the experience of waking up at three in the morning with all this terrible stuff going through your head and mm. of how the wheels are going to fall off and it's going to be calamitous. And, and most yes. people say yes, yes, right? right? Yes, yes, yes. Night, right? Um, but if I said to them, have you ever had the a time in three in the morning where you were thinking of unicorns and rainbows and chocolate waterfalls? People are like, no, because that's not the way our brains go. So I always say to people, okay, look, anxiety is the emotion you're experiencing right that you trap that emotion map it to future threat you know it's going to be future threat so you wake up at three in the morning have a piece of paper and a pen by the bedside write down all of those negative catastrophic doom loop thoughts that you have and then give yourself permission to go back to sleep next morning when you wake up take a look at it and most people say they zap it immediately because they look at that list of stuff and they're like some crazy person's been writing on my on my pad. <laughs> so, you know, th th we can do this with each and every one of these emotions. We can become really good at it. And, you know, I got to say, at the team level, um, teams become very good at being able to do trap it, map it, zap it with each other. You get individuals to calm and focus, get teams to calm and focus faster. Not only will you prevent doom loops, but you've got a productivity and performance uptick. Hmm. Awesome. Um so one last one from me and then Robin will take us out. Um, if you're an employer or an organization that's experiencing a doom loop, is it something, I mean, it seems like you would recognize the, the meltdown of downtown San Francisco, but it it didn't happen in, in 24 hours, right? It happens over a long period of time. So how does an employer recognize they're being impacted by this? concept of a doom loop how do you know when you're there and that that you should take action to try to fix it i think it was i think doom loops were responsible for a lot that we saw during the the pandemic i think quiet quitting the great resignation these were all signs that this was happening loss of motivation everyone's talking about loss of engagement burnout these are all signs that doom loops are in operation so i think it's fairly safe to assume in our global workforces that doom loops are there um, and then the, the key is to take steps to prevent them from, you know, continuing to have a negative impact on the organization. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. oh, this was a fascinating conversation. Um, I really enjoyed it. And um, Andrew, thank you so much for, uh, for uh, joining us on drive through today. And as we, close out the show um would love to have you share with our listeners um where they can find you how they could get in touch online etc absolutely well represent Mequilibrium co-founder and chief knowledge officer so you go to Mequilibrium.com, meq you're going to be able to find us you're going to be able to find me and there you're going to see a whole bunch of resources uh, not just about doom loops but about everything under the sun that has any connection with resilience we've been working on this stuff for 31 years and mm. um, proud to present it on that platform and in that format. And I've got to say, it's been a real pleasure to be with both of you um, on drive-through. It's been a, a, 
bunch of fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for doing the show. We really appreciate it. And I hope that uh, hope you have a great week. We will talk to you again soon. Bye, everybody. Bye.